0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the United City Greensboro podcast, a church in the heart of Greensboro with a desire to practice the way of Jesus for the renewal of all things. You can learn more about our community at UnitedCityGSO.com. Enjoy today's teaching. I'm Corey, and I'm just going to be reading the scriptures for you this morning out of Lamentations 5, NIV I got three verses for you, starting in verse one. Remember, Lord, what has happened to us. Look and see our disgrace. And then verse 19 You, Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. And lastly, verse 21. Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Renew our days as of old. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Corey. That's awesome. Every time Corey gets up here and I feel like he's introducing me or leading into the next thing, I'm like, I feel like John the Baptist or Jesus is up here introducing me. So I think that's good. So locusts and honey. That's what you had for breakfast this morning, right? Right. So. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, if I have a chance to meet you again, my name is Jay, and I am the pastor of Formation and Discipleship here at United City Greensboro, and we're happy to have you with us if this is your first time with us. Um, just to reintroduce you to a little bit of what's been going on here at United City, the last few weeks we've been in Lamentations, the book of Lamentations, and we've been talking about what does it mean to grieve well, what does it mean to suffer well, what does it mean to engage in the pain of the world, and what does God have to say about that? Um, and Vania, can we get Vania? around? Rem- of the applause. I don't know where she's at. So, I know that you're probably not looking for the praise, but I know that the Lord is very honored in that. And so, uh, we appreciate you sharing with us this morning. And I just feel like everything you said sums up so much of what we've been talking about over these last several weeks. Um, so, I'm going to recap a little bit of what we talked about, <clears throat> and then I'm going to jump into us finishing up Lamentations. So we're in Lamentations 5, we're in the last chapter of Lamentations, and over the last several weeks, we have explored the reality of pain and grief, we have explored God's purification, his refinement, and his wrath, that his wrath is not necessarily a terrible thing, that it actually invites us to something new. We have explored understanding of loss and understanding how to engage with our pain of loss. And last week, we talked a lot about answering with the how that is given in Lamentations and in the chapters of Lamentation. And what does it mean to really know our pain, not to hide our pain? I think what's so beautiful about last week was Kristen's story about uh, the hole that her and her brother created in their playing in the room or playing in their house, and Kristen's attempt to cover that hole with poetry, with pretty words. And I felt like that was so fitting for so what we do sometimes with God in our own, in our own pain, in our own troubles, is trying to cover it up. And what it does is lament. It, it allows us. It gives us a language to really express our pain and really to step into our pain. So today we're going to step into Lamentations five. We've talked, uh, again, through these first four chapters about the structure of Lamentations and what was going on in Lamentations. And so, if you're new to what we're talking about, just a quick recap. Lamentations, traditionally, is attributed to the prophet Jeremiah. Though There are some scholars debate that he is the author of it, but traditionally, we give it to Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah writes Lamentations after the Babylonian exile or during the the ransacking of uh, Judah and Jerusalem. Uh, The Babylonians have come in. They have have ransacked the city destroyed Jerusalem and they have taken the people into exile into babylon and so through this lament jeremiah is remembering the days of old and through that he is also expressing the pain of the people as they have been taken from their home and they are now in a foreign land wondering where is god in these moments We've talked a little bit about what led up to that moment. Uh, The fact that Israel had been divided into Judah and Israel. There were some choices made by the leaders and the kings of that time, and especially the religious leaders, um, where the people of God had turned their eyes away from the Lord, away from his covenant, away from relationship with him, true relationship with him. Not just the act of going to the temple or going through the motions, but a really understanding and knowing who God is. And because of that, God removed his hand from the people. And the Babylonians came in and took the people away. So in Lamentations 5, we now enter a new structure based uh, apart from what we have experienced. So in the Hebrew uh, translation of this, original text of this, uh, the first four books are an acrostic, meaning that each sentence starts with the, um, uh, sorry a letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and it goes in chronological order with that. And the poet does that for the first four chapters, but then in the fifth chapter, he doesn't do that. It's different. In the fifth chapter, we get more of this uh, not unhinged, but more transparent, open confession and questioning and conversation the poet is having with God. We get to a point where the poet is asking God, is there going to be anything different, essentially? Where are you? Do you not remember us? Do you not understand the pain that we're going through? And so we're going to start in Lamentations 5.1. And I want to talk a little bit about this idea of forgetfulness. The people had forgotten the ways that had been before them. And not only had they forgotten, they felt like the Lord had forgotten them. Is there anybody in here that is kind of forgetful? Tends to leave things? I am terrible about that. Uh, Funny story when Aaron and I were dating, we were taking our first trip out of town together. We were driving down to Atlanta. I was going to introduce her to some of my friends down there. We were going to hang out. And if you know anything about my wife, punctuality got to be there, okay? Um, and I'm always the one that's late because, I, you know, I just, I'm on God's time, you know? So anyway... And so, but anyway, so our first trip, uh, I'm packing all my stuff. I'm supposed to go meet her at her place. I'm going to ride with her down there. And she's saying she wants me there at a certain time. And sure enough, I lose my keys packing everything up, hurrying, rushing out the door, and all of a sudden, I can't find my keys. But surely my keys are around here somewhere because I had to use them to unlock the car door, my car keys. So I'm thinking to myself, where are they at, where are they at? So I literally am walking around my house, I'm digging through stuff, I'm pulling things out, and literally can't find my keys anywhere. Hour later, hour and a half later, after texting with her that I'm on my way, I find them in my center console. That's the type of person that I am. Like, I just, out of sight, out of mind, mentally, I'm in a hundred different places. Uh, Even now, my keys actually have the little tile thing on them, so whenever I lose them, I can find them again. That was a Christmas gift from my wife as well. (laughs) So, but there are things that we forget. In the rush of everyday life, the demands that we have, right, it's easy for us to forget things. And not only do we forget things, we tend to trend into different habits, different patterns in the ways of how we used to live, and we forget those things. It is easy for us to to forget things with so much noise around us, with so many different narratives around us. The progression of forgetting happens based upon what we believe and what we see and how we react to that. We have to understand that as human beings, we are facing the reality of competing narratives in our world. There are multiple narratives on what it means to be human and what it means to be fully alive. And our culture is grasping at understanding what does it mean to be really human. In fact, what is it even, what is meaning? Why are we even existing? These are deep, deep philosophical questions that we ask ourselves and that every human being asks. There are two questions that we all ask, and that question is, am I wanted and am I loved? Those are deep, deep ontological questions that we ask ourselves. And so in this chapter, in, in Lamentations 5, the poet looks back at once, what was once was. He looks at the greatness of their temple, the greatness of Jerusalem, the greatness of the stories of God's faithfulness to them, and he's asking the Lord to remember. He's asking the Lord to remember them and to not forget them. It's kind of odd asking that question, is it not? If we believe in an all-powerful God, omnipotent God, who knows everything, why would we ask him to remember us? Because we have to go back to one of the points we've already talked about in this, Lament is not so much for God as it is for us and it's a language that God has given us in order to speak in our pain. And so lamenting allows us and asking God to remember is opening a conversation for him to remind us and to renew the reality of what it means to be human, what he's created us for. God created a covenant with his people. He promised Abraham the land. So again, this is why this is another big issue. Why there's so much pain in the Israelites not being in Jerusalem and Judah. Because that was what had been promised to them. But yet they let that gift go by. They forgot the promises of God. They introduced false idols, false ways of living. And in that again, God removed his hand. So one of the things that we have to ask ourselves in asking God to remember. And for us to remember is that understanding what faithfulness looks like in the eyes of God? And what does it mean for God to be faithful towards us? One of the questions that we have to ask, which is very, very difficult, in our pain, do we still believe that God is good? Yes. Regardless of the circumstances, the situation, and what He has already done, do we believe that He is good? The reality is, is as we enter into this Thanksgiving week and as we sit around with family or friends and we practice the idea of thankfulness, we have to understand that gratitude requires practice. It is not just simply cultivated on its own. It is a seed that we plant in remembering God's faithfulness and goodness towards us. We are lucky to, for the most part, and I'll say generally speaking live in a culture and a society where when we pray over our food, right, when you say your prayers over food, that we're not praying simply because we're hoping that this isn't our last meal, correct? (laughs) We, We are grateful to live in a way that, though I have been in places where literally people are praying for their next meal every day, but we generally are speaking, if we don't, if we say that we don't pray, do we really believe we're not going to eat the next day? That's, usually not the case. But the reason we pray is to remember and to thank God for the blessings that we do have. And I know some may be saying, but isn't that just to appease to um, the reality of my pain? Does that does that really solve my pain? No, it doesn't necessarily solve your pain, but it gives you a language to speak into your pain. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what our culture desperately needs in our pain and our suffering. It's not necessarily the ability to fix it or correct it immediately, But to be able to actually see it, identify it, and actually speak into it, so that it doesn't become something that it's not supposed to be, which ultimately can lead into bitterness. And that's what we fight against as followers of Jesus. So again, we push back the notion of hiding our pain. And lament is where we embrace our pain. And we do this by asking God to remember and to remember ourselves. So if we ask if God is still good, there is a question that we have to ask in regards of who is in control. Who is controlling this situation? Who has the answer to this situation of whatever the pain or grief may be? And so that leads to, excuse me, that leads to the poet asking or declaring in verse 5, 19, you, O Lord, reign. I wanted to bring up a current event, something that happened recently. On January 6, 2021, a mob broke into the US Capitol. And in an effort to disrupt the certification of the 2020 election, the chambers, <clears throat> the chambers were emptied, emptied. But as the mob entered the hallowed halls of power, an interesting observation could be made. The mob enters into Congress, and when they enter into this place, this hallowed place where our laws are passed, where power is held, where structure is established as citizens of America, the group then, as you can see, proceeds up into the place of power, and there was something that I noticed that was very, very interesting when I saw this image, and I think there's one more slide, Morgan, if you will go over. What is distinct about this picture, if somebody wants to answer? The cell phone. The cell phone. Power no longer resides in these structures, and it's causing a crisis of faith in people. Power is now digitized. Power resides and the people and the voices that they have found through technology. This is causing a crisis of faith, particularly in the West. Because these structures that for so long that our parents, grandparents have trusted in and that we were believed to trust in, no longer hold the power that they once did. Now, this is not gloom and doom. I'm not saying that America doesn't have any power. I'm not saying that our country is going to collapse. Thank you, please, Lord. (laughs) But, but, there's something to be said about the image of this man holding up a phone, broadcasting what's going on. We now have a new term, I'm going to see all the other new terms that we've gotten over the pandemic, called doom scrolling. Maybe you've heard of doom scrolling, right? Doomscrolling is the act of spending an excessive amount of screen time devoted to the absorption of negative news. There are studies, psychological studies, of millennials, particularly Zoomers, scrolling through their news feeds, scrolling through Instagram, scrolling through the news cycle in order to ingest more and more and more negative news. There is something about negative news that hits the wiring of a human being. There was a study done of a Russian website who decided to post, they usually post negative stuff, decided to go, I think, a month or something like that, just posting good news, and their traffic dipped to the website. And I think when I look at this, this idea of doom scrolling, this idea of questioning the negative news and wanting to consume negative news, I think that it, 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 ignites a question in the human soul of who's in charge. Who's fixing all of this? How do we fix all this? How do we approach and deal with these things? The reality is I think that what we're finding out again with this idea of power, this idea of control, is the reality is we're not in as much control as we thought we were. COVID-19 opened that up wide open. The reality that we are not as controlled, we have not created the utopia, or moved towards the utopia you think we're going to have. Tim Keller says this. <clears throat> he says, when pain and suffering come upon us, we finally see not only that we are not in control of our lives, but that we never were. This is offensive language to a culture that, that elevates a high view of individualism and autonomy. The idea that I'm not in control is an assault to the idea of what it means to pursue happiness, to make my own decisions. And it's not that we live in a sense of fatalism, but it asks, it begs the question well, then who's in control? And so it reorients us to ask and to remember that as followers of Jesus, that truth sits at the right hand of the Father, and the right side of history sits at the right hand of the Father. And that that is where our trust is at. That is where the investment of our anxiety and our weariness and our worrisome ways. The reality is that even for America... When you think about the empire that Rome was, the assault that it had on the Christian faith and how it tried to crush it and wipe it out, but yet Rome, all that's left of Rome are ruins, museums, and rebels, and we sit in this room here today. I pray for our country. I pray for everything that I've just shared. But the reality is, as followers of Jesus, we have allegiance to a higher kingdom. Yes. We have allegiance to a greater person that's in control. So we must remember that our God reigns in the midst of our pain and our suffering. He is the one that is in control. He is the one that holds the world in his hands. And so knowing that he is in control, knowing that he has power, the poet asks, and he, he begs, The Lord to restore us. And we need to understand that restoration is not necessarily meaning going back to the way things once were before. But about restoring what was intended. returning to the promise that was given to Abraham. We remember this as the Israelites, right, are taken, are, sorry, leave Judah, go into Israel, are taken into captivity, and then they are taken out of captivity, and they wander the desert for 40 years before they go back into Israel. And one of the things we have to understand that as God takes them out of physical captivity, His having them wander in the desert for 40 years was not just an act of their disobedience, or them just simply not listening, but it was actually a pruning. Because while they were physically free, they were spiritually not free. The people clamored to go back to the way things were. Things were easier in Egypt. Things were so much easier then, and we want to go back to the way those were. And even now, I hear this somewhat same sentiment with COVID-19, right? We want to go back to normal to life back before COVID-19, back before the pandemic. The reality is we're not going back. God has called his church to move forward. And just in your individual pain and suffering, he is calling you to move forward and to trust that in the wandering, there is a promised land, there is a goal, there is a meaning to your pain. So one of the things he talks about in scripture and the Old Testament writers talk about a lot is justice. We want justice. We hear that now in a lot of our social issues and activism, right? We want justice. The question we have to ask though is what is justice and how do we define it? Which is the grand question that we're all asking, right? It's what incites debate and animosity sometimes towards one another. But I think we need to understand in the aspect of justice, as Christians, we are looking for a justice that is restorative. <clears throat> I think most people, and this is just maybe my opinion, I think most people see justice primarily viewed through, through a punitive lens, right? We see that if something wrong happens to somebody else, to someone, then that person deserves punishment for it, right? We are balancing the scales, But we need to understand that justice is more than just punitive. It's not about just tit for tat or balancing things out, right? It is about restoring and repairing the harm that's been done. And so when we pursue justice, that's what we're pursuing. We're pursuing equity and we're pursuing an ability to example, exemplify, and restore and to do as Jesus said, here on earth as it is in heaven, Repairing harm is not a quick process. Lament is not a quick process. Pursuing justice is not a quick process. Many of us want to look at the issues of justice and we want a quick fix. What's the solution? What do you want us to do? What do we need to do? In some cases, justice requires us to sit in it. To sit in the pain. To sit in the tragedy to sit along the people that have been hurt, the communities that have been hurt, the individuals that have been hurt, and that through that, we're able to empathize, sympathize, and again, going back to this primary point, create a language and a conversation around pain and suffering or injustice that has been done. We need to understand that lament does not completely untie the tangles of sorrow. Lament is not about Escaping from sorrow—it's about coming to grips with sorrow. Chan Ra says this. He says, "Lament will not allow us to revert to easy answers. There is no triumphalistic and exceptionalistic narrative of the American church that can cover up justice. There are no easy answers to unabated suffering. Lament continues." God has called us to lament. God has called us, just as Christ has done, to step down from wherever we're at and to be with his people and among them. And so this transitions into the end of our series, but also something that's very important. You know, we've been going through Lamentations, and as we exit Lamentations, we'll be going into Advent, and one of the things that I think that gets lost in Advent is Advent is not exactly a happy time either. And I don't want to paint this picture you've been visiting us for a while that we're always just morose. You know, we just love, love sitting in it. And it's not that. But to be honest a little bit about why these rhythms are in our, our calendar. But understanding that the reason we go through Lamentations, and I think it's a little strategic in the sense of we are now entering to the Advent season which is a waiting period for the Messiah. And it's during this Advent season that we must remember that there is a 400-year gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's 400 years where God did not speak to his people and nobody heard anything. And in some ways, Advent leading up to Christmas when we celebrate it is this remembering of this dark period of silence where we didn't hear anything. And in some ways, we prepare ourselves to be able to hear again. We prepare our hearts and our minds and our posture to remember that ultimately all of our pain and the pain of God's people point to a Savior and a Messiah. Jeremiah prophesies this in 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 his book, Jeremiah. In verse chapter 31, verses 33 to 34, he says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I'll write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. This is a foreshadowing of Jesus, of his coming, <clears throat> of the advocate of the Holy Spirit, who walks with us and teaches us. Sorrow can and should lead us to the man of sorrows. What is so fitting about Jeremiah pinning lamentations traditionally, it is believed that the place that he pinned this, outside the city gates, overlooked Calvary, where Jesus would walk to pay for the sins of man. Jeremiah, in some ways, in his lament, And where he is, the location of where he is pinning it is a foreshadowing of things to come. That a spotless lamb would enter the earth. That he would empathize and sympathize with his people. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. Yet he did not sin. These are the questions that I leave with you this morning. Do you remember? Is there a place, are you cultivating a place where you can be grateful and remember the goodness of God, even in the midst of the pain? Not to escape from your pain, but again, to create a conversation and a language to speak into your pain. Do you know who is in control? Who is in control? I know that's one of the biggest issues that I have felt. And I shared with you the first week, I'm someone who has dealt with mental illness issues before, anxiety, depression. And one of the number one questions that has uh, plagued me over that time is asking the question, who's in control? Because this is too big for me to control. And then again, understanding who reigns. And asking him to restore us. I was going in my preparation this week, I was actually looking through my journal and just rereading some entries of pain and just some seasons of life that were very difficult and just trying to reconnect with who was Jay at that time when he was going through that. And I pulled this quote out that I wrote about four or five years ago. And it was a prayer that I had, and it's a prayer that I share with you. And this was it. It was a statement that I I basically said to God. I said, if breaking my heart is what allows me to know what's hidden deep inside of it, then let it be shattered a thousand times over. If wounds are the only way to draw out the poisonous elements of how I view and treat those around me, then wound me until I have the scars that sing of joy. I believe that that is what the Lord wants for you today. That in your pain, and your grief, ultimately it would produce songs of joy. And a tune of joy. Joy is not just about happiness. We're about to enter into a season where we're going to see the word joy a lot. It is not just about happiness. It is a roller coaster and a wide spectrum of emotions that point us back to the reality of what it means to be fully alive. And fully healed. I pray that if you do not know that joy, that you would enter it to today. You would talk to someone, talk to a friend, talk to a pastor here. To pray through your pain and to understand that there is something better. There's a verse, again, in Hebrews where it says, Jesus, despising shame, endured the cross for the joy set before him. Meaning he said, I despise you shame, I resent you, and because I despise you and I resent you, I'm willing to go to the cross because I know there's something better on the other side of it. Yeah. Do we trust that there's something better on the other side of it? I'm going to ask Anthony to come up and just play. And I'm going to pray for us. And one of the things that we do is we remember. And one of the things Christ called his disciples to do on his last day or his last night was to remember with a meal. So if you don't have an element, I think we were passing out elements, please do that. We're going to actually engage in communion today. Um, but I'm going to pray for us first. And then Pastor Anderson is going to walk us uh, through communion with one another. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. God, you're so good to us. Father, I believe that there are people in this room that are feeling grief and pain. And Father, I just want them to know that you sit alongside of them. God, you sit in that pain. God, with their tears, you, you are filling your eyes with tears as well. And Father, I pray that you would allow uh, us to trust and to know that you are in control. That when we weep, you weep. When we feel pain, you feel pain. And Father, that's not what you want for us. That ultimately, you know the good that's on the other side of it. And Father, I pray that you would connect us with that. And that our community would connect with that. Father, that we know that our pain is not meaningless. That our grief is not meaningless. Father, and again, that we would just cling and trust into you. Father, you would remind us that he's in control. Father, you would restore us to the promises that you have given us. And Lord, we would not be broken or dissuaded by the narratives of this world. Father, we love you. And as we enter into this time, I pray that you would bless us as we remember you. In Jesus' name, amen.